I was talking with Caitlin this week uh, on Friday, and I said to her, because we've been on the sermon series as a church, the guys up on the balcony, um, on stewardship and talking about finances, and I said, I said, Caitlin, how often do you think I should preach on this? And she goes, once a year. I said, wow, once a year, because last time I did this was like three, four years ago. And I said, how many times once a year? She goes, oh, about a month every year. <laughs> and I thought, I don't think I could do that at our church for a month every year. I, people just won't stop, just stop coming to church uh, when we talk about it. Um, let me just ask you guys before we uh, launch in. How do you think, and I've talked about this on and on, our country as a whole is Christian or not, when it comes to generosity. You guys have seen some statistics. I came across this map. Let me just put it up for you, okay? So I know that uh, our screen's fairly, uh, fairly small, and so if, if I can just kind of generally describe the bright reddish hue, that's zero to two percent giving, okay? And then, of course, on the other end, the greener, darker hue is 5% or larger. Is, okay? so, and then the whitish is the middle. So there's our country by county in terms of generosity. Now, the other thing that you guys will notice, and, and the, the title was that there is a direct relationship between the wealthier counties and how you give versus the poorer counties and how they give. Okay, so it's just obvious in your face, the wealthiest counties in this country give the fewest and are the least generous. And in case you're wondering, where's Chicago County? We're like, you know, the, the next to the red, kind of, perp, you know, pinkish hue, okay? And we're surrounded, particularly on the north side, by the darker red. And then, of course, the, I also, I also <laughs> say what you want about the Bible Belt. <laughs> Those folks, whether they give out of religious reasons or whatever, you know, they tend to be more generous when it comes to charity and giving. So there's our map. And what we've been saying all along. It seems as though the more money you make, the less generous you are. And the less money you make, the more generous. I said, I said this last week, uh, a book by Ron Bull called Mastering Your Money. Uh, this is the way that we Americans typically spend money. I think it's on the slide, yes? We typically spend money this way. Or is it not on the slide? Yeah. We spend it on us, and then we pay debt and bills, and then we pay taxes, and we save and invest and give. And I said last week, that's not just how Americans typically spend money in different categories. That's the priority and the order in which typical Americans spend their money. So they'll spend it on themselves, then pay that, or, yeah, or me, me, America, me, God, and others is pretty much how we, most Americans, spend money. I want to ask you a handful of questions before we launch in here, okay? One, which of these two statements cause more anxiety in you? Statement number one, there is no God. Statement number two, there's no money in the bank. 
be really honest this morning. Which causes greater level of anxiety? There's no God. There's no money in the bank. Here's question number two. Do you have money in the bank, but no peace in your heart? If you've traveled outside of the United States, you know that having money in the bank doesn't necessarily equate to peace in your heart, or joy for that matter. Question number three, how hard is it for you to do the right thing, morally, vocational, legally, when you know it's going to cost you to do the right thing? And then lastly, does fear of not having enough impede or hinder your ability to give? And by the way, how would you define enough? How would you define enough? Isn't enough an elusive goal? Don't we get to enough and then go, that's not enough. Then we get to enough and we go, that's not enough. In the perpetual cycle of not having enough. Enough. I had a really good conversation last week with a church member. And he said, you know, Peter, uh, the family I grew up in were heavily impacted by our families. My parents weren't the greedy materialistic type. But what they did was they said, we're going to just save and save and save. Why? What if? What if? What if? And then I thought. Doesn't that describe a big chunk of our church? See, I honestly, I honestly, as I've seen the last month, am so encouraged because you have responded. I mean, I want to just give you a big group hug. Like you have responded to the challenge. And I think for most of us, most of us, it's not that we're greedy. It's not that we're materialistic. It's not that we're selfish and self-centered. For many of us, the challenge in terms of radical generosity is the big what if. What if I lose my job? What if I can't find a job? What if I get laid off like I did? What if my parents stop supporting me? What if the gifts don't come in? What if the savings? And we, what if, our way out of radical generosity. And at the essence of that what if is trust. It's trust. At the essence of that what if is trust. For many of us, we say, God, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And I'm a little scared. So what I need to do is make sure that whatever the what if happens, I could take care of me. So I'm going to push this a little bit. But essentially what we wind up is saying this. We say, God, you're, you're the Lord of heaven and earth. Creator and, and, and Lord of heaven and earth. But when it comes to my finances, I'm afraid of the what if. And so you could be Lord of all of these other areas of my life. But when it comes to finances, I'm going to do what I need to do. To make sure that I can be secure for my needs. So I would love to be more radically generous. But I need to make sure I cover all the bases. So therefore, I'm going to do what I need to do. <laughs> and here's the challenge for us though. I'm just asking. you. How did it work out for you the last time you decided wherever the area was? God, I don't know if I could fully trust you with this, so I got it. And I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Just ask a question. How did it turn out for us? It don't work out so good, right? It doesn't matter if it's marriage, relationship, finances, our career goals. Whatever the issue is, when we go, I don't trust you. 
Lord of heaven and earth, but I don't trust you with this. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Things normally, and we say this in our vernacular, fall apart. Why? Here's what scripture says. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17. Before him, he existed before all things. And in him, the Bible says, all things hold together. So here's a picture for you. All things hold together. All things hold together under his lordship, which means that apart from him, all things what? Fall apart. And what happened in the garden, listen. What happened in the garden it's not just one isolated moment. What happened in the garden is applicable to every area of our lives. When we decide, I'm a better king in this area than you. So I'm going to maintain control. I'm going to do what I need to do. When we decide, God, I know better. So I'm going to maintain control and kingship over this area. The Bible says, inevitably, things become unclean. Now, where are we today? Forget about generosity and practical. My, my question to all of us is simple, which is, is he Lord over the area of our finances? Because if he's not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. You can't, I can't go, you could be Lord over these areas, because frankly, when it comes to that, I'm not very competent. I don't know what I'm doing. But when it comes to this area, I, today, as we, uh, by the way, we're not ending the sermon series today. We got one more next week, sorry. <laughs> I'm apologizing in advance. But today may be the most critical Honestly, out of this six, seven-week sermon series. Because today, we are going to answer the question of how do we practically, tangibly, really, for real, for real, not just words and prayer. How do we practically and tangibly, for real, for real, go, God, you are Lord over this area. You are Lord over this area. How do we practically and tangibly go about doing that? So that, listen, so that when things in the future don't work out or circumstances, emergencies, we lose our job, bottom falls out. You and I don't have to, ah! but we can go, God, you've been Lord over this area all along. And you are Lord over this area now. So I'm not going to fret, I'm not going to be anxious, I'm not going to be worried, but have perfect peace. Can we do that? The answer is absolutely yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be. I want you to turn your Bibles to there as I give you some context. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. As we mentioned last week, Paul is going around collecting funds for the church in Jerusalem. Church in Jerusalem has experiencing tremendous financial crisis because of a famine. And so Paul has been going around Asia Minor and other places to collect funds to support this church in Jerusalem. And he's come to this church in Corinth that he's coming to again to collect funds before. And he's coming again and he's writing this letter to them. And he says here, this is what, listen, this is what happens when you give to God's work. This is what actually happens in the unseen world when you actually give to God's work. And this here Paul says, is the best way to ensure now, best way to ensure now that as you give lordship 
in this area of finances to God, this is the best way to ensure now that your future will be taken care of. This is the best way to ensure now with your money and finances, big or small, now how you can trust that God will take care of your finances for the future. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 is where we pick it up. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And Paul here uses the analogy of money as seeds, and this is a great metaphor. And Paul's saying, just as a farmer sows his seeds into the field, and the greater extent to which he sows, greater the harvest. So, he says, the more charitable you are, the more generous you are to God's causes, the greater the harvest. Now, let me just stop here and say this. These verses are some of the most difficult verses to explain in all the Bible. Do you know why? Because all of us that maybe grew up in church are familiar with what's called health, wealth, prosperity. I hate even saying the word gospel because it's not gospel. What's that? Yeah. Health, wealth, prosperity. Let's just put it that way, okay? This is the text that pastor teachers have used to support this mindset, okay, which we're going to get into. And it's fraught with difficulties and challenges. But here's the danger, here's the danger, here's the danger. It's dangerous to over-exaggerate what these verses mean, but at the same time, listen, it's just as dangerous to underestimate it. It's just as dangerous to underestimate it. Now, there's a promise for us and a promise for the world. Let's look at it. What is the promise for us? Paul says, the promise is that as you give, here's the word, in verse 11, it says, he will, God, God will increase your store of seed. And health, wealth, prosperity says this. The more you give, the more you'll what? Yeah. Simple. In their mentality. The more you give, the more you'll get. Full stop. In other words, in health, wealth, prosperity, giving and getting is an incentive and not a consequence. Can I say that again? In health, wealth, prosperity, the reason why you're generous and you give is all about the incentive, which is I get more. And Paul's very clear. And not about incentive. You get more. It's about God, consequence of your radical generosity, giving you more. Now, listen very carefully. Health, wealth, prosperity says I give more so I can get more. The gospel says, I give more, so I can give more. Look at the promise in verse 8. This is so powerful. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, we'll come back to this verse in a bit, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. When we give, listen, we are not the end. God is the end. The kingdom is the end. His work in the world is the end. Amen? We are not the end. Health prosperity says it's an intensive. We are the end. We give more so I can get more. The gospel says we give more so God could give us more so we can what? Give more. Did you also catch though? I, I, I'm blown away by the simplicity of this. Every time I look at it, 
Did you catch what Paul said? What's the promise? And God is able to bless you abundantly so that, say the following things with me, ready? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. Can you get any more secure than that? Church, answer. Can you get any more secure than having all things at all times and all that? By the way, by the way, another difference, health, wealth, prosperity in us. The promise is not you'll get all that you want. The promise is you'll get all that you want. Isn't this the exact same reason why many of us are afraid to be generous? Let's just be honest. It's so that we could have all things at all times and not be in need. That's why we're scared. I want to make sure I have all things at all times and have all that I need. And so we try and manage and we try and outsmart and we try to make sure. Can I just ask something? How exhausting is that? How exhausting is that? To say, I'm smart enough, so I'm going to make sure I have all things when I need it at all times. And God says, it's a very simple promise. When you give to my work, you'll have all things at all times, and you won't be in need. Is that a good promise? What Paul is saying here is this, and this again is where we tend to minimize, you know. We want to not do the health, what's the my Paul says, there is a promise here, and that is this. This creator God has put into the world the law of the harvest. And what is the law of the harvest? The law of the harvest is when you take resources that God has entrusted to you, and you give to charity, you give to ministry, and you give to God's work, it's like sowing. Not, for many of us, we go, there's that money I'll never see again. Goodbye. No, for some of us, we do. We go, I don't know where that goes, but whatever. And God goes, you have no idea what happens to you. When you give to God's work, it's not, see that money, goodbye. I have no idea. God says, you're sowing. You're sowing. And even though in the unseen human eye, you have no idea what it's doing, you're sowing into God's work in such a way that there is a harvest of righteousness that will be produced. So every time, Anybody in here today is afraid, uncertainty, emergencies, what if I lose my job? What is the best thing God says you can do? The best thing you can do is what? Take what God has given to you and in biblical portions he says, sow. Sowing is the best way to make sure that you're ensuring that God will take care of your future. So that in all things, at all times, you'll have all that you need. Sowing, Paul says, is an invitation for God to get involved in our finances. And we give him lordship and say, God, you're creative heaven and earth. And I don't know. Do you know why we're afraid? I'll tell you why I'm afraid. I'm afraid because I can't control circumstances. I don't know the future. And I can't control God as much as I'd like to think. I can't control God. And God says, here's the good news. I know the future. I know the circumstances that are coming down the pipeline. I created this deal. So the best thing that we can do when we're afraid of the future is to say, I am entrusting my future to the one who knows the future. Can I get an amen? I am entrusting my future. You can't control the future. I can't control the future. 
We're securing our jobs now. Who knows what's happening two years down the line? We're healthy today. Who knows six months down the line? Our kids are well and healthy. Who knows? Five, we don't know. But we have a loving, sovereign God who says, I'm already in the future. I already know the future. And the best thing that you can do is to trust me with that future. Good Lord. If you and I have been afraid, because deep down inside we're just don't know what's going to happen in the future. God says the best thing you can do is to commit to being a generous sower. I said this last week, and I'll just throw this out. I have never seen someone become poor because they gave generously to God's work. You know what I have seen, though? Incredibly smart, competent people who got into enormous financial mess because they thought, I could smarten up and take care of my family. And all of a sudden you realize, I can't control the job market. All of a sudden you realize, I can't control what happens to health of my family. I, some of us are too smart for our own goods. Can I get in it? We're too smart for our own goods. We just go, if I can just cover all the laces when it comes. And we just realize, I can't do it. Do you know what? As I thought about this. When Paul says, God will bless you abundantly, the blessing is not just God is going to make sure that our needs are taken care of. You know what the blessing is for me? Let me just say this to some of us. The blessing for some of us is that as you give in the way that God asks us to give, and then you hear and see God coming through on his promises. In other words, when your faith intersects with God's faithfulness when it comes to finances, for the very first time in your entire life, you will stop worrying about money. You will never stop worrying about money. I don't care how large your bank account is, as long as your mindset is, I'm in control, I got this. The only way to find true security and true peace is doing what God says, which is I'm going to trust you, you're coming through for me, I will not worry. Do you even have an idea what that's like? Do you even know? Uh, 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 it's not a rhetorical question, by the way. For those of you who have seen God do this, say amen. If you have ever gone through the experience of seeing your faith, God, I'm trusting you, intersect with faithfulness. If you've seen God, God, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. And God says, I'm going to support and take care of you for the very first time in your entire life. You'll stop worrying about money. See, the knowledge that I have with some of us is this. The little big we have, this is our picture right now. It's tight, and then some of it's, it's even tighter than others. And God goes, I can't pour into a clenched fist. I can't pour into a clenched fist. But God, if I let How many of us walked in here this morning and we give lip service, God, your Lord, your, how many of us this morning to this area, you don't touch this. I'm going to take care of me. 
so here, here's the, what, what, what. <laughs> some of you have been around, you guys know what's coming. So here's the picture. How are you going to sell? How are you going to sell? Where are you going, Michael? <laughs> you guys go, why is he doing that? How, how are you going to sell? Uh, you've seen this sermon before. How are you going to sell? Honestly, honestly, uh, let's be sure. If some of us, uh, we're going to go, you know, Scott, here you go. Scott, Scott, yeah, I'm, I'm coming, Scott. Scott here, here, here you go. But what a picture, huh? Scott, Scott, here, 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 here you go. Now, it, what's in your hand is only proportional to the size of the bucket, right? Don't compare. We don't need to compare ourselves to other people. We talk about proportional giving, sacrificial giving. What's in our hands is directly proportional to the size of our buckets. See, for, for some of us, you know, <laughs> this is our bucket right here, right? A college student maybe, right? Now here's a question. God doesn't look at us and go, what's the number? How? God goes, you have a certain size bucket. How are you sowing? You doing this? No, I'm not going to do it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> My God is going to tell you, I'm not going to do it in here. This is God's holy place, man. I'm going to do it after y'all leave because I want to just. No, in all seriousness. Some of us in here, this is the size of our buckets. For some of us in here, this is the size of our buckets. And for some of us in here, this is the size of our buckets. And for four or five weeks we've talked about the thing that honors God is proportional sacrifice. He doesn't care about the largest. Some of us are like, I'm going to write it. God goes, I'm not impressed. It's mine anyway. God's going, what is the level of sacrifice? Some families in here, by the way, as we've seen, the, the national map is true for our church too. People that are sometimes the most generous are sometimes who have the least amount of needs. Some of us are giving 2-3% of our income to God's work. And it's, it's incredibly sacrificial. There are people in our church, listen very carefully please, for whom giving means that they go out with things that you and I would consider basic necessities. And then there are other folks in our church, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you for the last time. You've been giving 10% to God's work, and it's not even make a dent in your lifestyle. You shrug it off. And I've challenged you, what does it mean for you to give in such a way, here's the word, that it hurts. It forces us to change our lifestyle to a degree. Let's go on. Verse 7. You must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And the word cheerfully in Greek is hilarion, from which you get the English word what? Hilarious. Does this sound like somebody was like, oh. Some of us play tug of war when it comes time to give to God. Do you know that it's possible to give with our hands and pull back with our eyes? It's possible to give with our hands and then pull back with our eyes. You know what I'm talking about? And God says, I look at the eyes of your The incredible thing is, 
in this longest section that Paul talks about finance, uh, stewardship, do you know, look at your Bible, Paul doesn't say the word money once or even a metaphor symbol for money once. Do you know what he talks about over and over again? Heart, attitude, mindset. Heart, attitude, mindset. Heart, attitude, mindset. Heart, attitude. Why? He's literally saying it's not about your checkbook. It's about your heart. It's about your And it's hugely convicting for me because literally what Paul is saying is this. If you want God to be Lord, if you want to give to extent that it's biblical, if you want to be generous in the way that Bible says, you will give joyously, you will give proactively, and you will give aggressively. You will look for ways to give and not wait until you're compelled. You will look for needs in your community, in the world to give, and you will not stop at some percentage, but you'll go beyond that until it makes a measurable difference in the way we live. That is biblical generosity. Biblical generosity, regardless of the size of the bucket, is where an individual says, I'm going to proactively, you don't wait, I'm going to aggressively, not passively, I'm going to intentionally look for needs around me, and I'm going to give, not just some percentage, because I've determined that, but I'm going to go beyond that until it makes a measurable difference in the way I live. A biblical generous person is someone who lives at the bottom end of their income bracket in regards to how much the money they spend on themselves. A biblically generous person, guys, is someone who says, I am going to give and give and give so much that I am willing to curtail my wants so that I could meet other people's needs. And secondly, Paul contrasts in that verse right there the difference between planned giving and unplanned giving. He said this last week, some of us have a plan. A lot of us don't have a plan. So we wind up giving God leftovers. You got, do you have a plan? Or do you kind of go, you know, when I feel like it. You know, if I have some meth to have eaten, played, and shopped. Can I, and this is so hard. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to, by the way, I just need, sorry. I'm not checking somebody's text if somebody's texting me. I needed this from my wife. My wife. I love my wife. She says, praying for you. This was how I was praying at church, you know, getting ready. She goes, I'm praying for you. She says, today's stewardship challenge is not up to you. You don't have to hit a grand slam to move people to give generously. Just teach what God has set before you and trust that the Holy Ghost will do the rest. And then a bunch of hearts and kisses and stuff, emojis. <laughs> Do you know why this was so needed today? Because I need to say stuff like this to you. You ready? I need to say stuff like, you know what it means to be a biblically generous person? That means that money we spend on us is optional and money we give to God is a necessity. That's what it means to be biblically when it comes to stewardship. It means that the money we give to God first is a necessity. And money we spend on us is optional. The rest of the world brainwashes you and me to go, all the money you have, spend it on you. That's necessity. Optional, give to God and his causes. And the Bible says that whole value system is reversed in the kingdom. That means that you and I say, God giving to you, that's a necessity. What I spend on me, that's optional. 
Now, you can't hear that and go, that sounds like wonderful news apart from the Holy Spirit. That's why I thank my wife. Are you willing to live into this? See how hard this is? Verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God says, now that you're sowing into my kingdom, I'm going to do three things. I'll bless you abundantly. For some of us, we may never worry like we do. Be anxious like we are about money. I will bless you abundantly and you'll have all things at all times and all that you need so that you can give more. Now, if you ask me and go, Peter, how does that even work? My answer, sometimes I have no idea. I have no idea how God continues to refill the buckets of people who give generously. But I can tell you this, I have seen it over and over and over again to know that his promises are true. I have seen over and over and over again people who are radically generous and continue. It's amazing how God continues to refill their buckets. It's amazing. By the way, if you really push me and go, well, how do you know God can do that? I go, I don't know. He made you and me out of dirt. And he went, and we came alive. He's good. You know what I'm saying? I don't know exactly how all this happens, but I do know this. I have seen people who say, God, I'm going to continue to sow into your kingdom work. And God goes, I'm going to continue to refill it, refill it. And then I've seen other people who go, I don't trust you. I want to take care of me. And struggle and struggle and struggle in debt, emergencies <gasps> I can't take care of. Verse 9, moving on, moving on. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, we'll come back to verse 9. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food. Church, for the last time, who supplies the seeds? Come on, say it with Who supplies the seeds? Do you believe it? He who supplies the seeds to the sower. Whether it be he who plants seeds or makes bread out of the seeds, God says, I am responsible for it all. Everything's a gift. Of course, you and I are brainwashed walking there going, you earned it, spend it on yourself. You earned it, do what you want with it. You earned it, take the... And God goes, can I just ask you something? Who's able to give you the ability to breathe the air that I give as a gift? Who's able to work the job you do with the mind that I've given you as a gift? And as you get older, you realize, who's responsible for the health that you have to be able to work the way you do? Who's responsible for the family that you were born into as a gift? God says, aren't all these things a gift? Then why do you act like an owner and not a steward? Or in Paul's words, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 7, what do you have that God has not given you? And if everything you have is a gift from God, then why do you boast as though it were not a gift? Verse 10, 
Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Give me like five minutes to do this very important teaching, which I had like 20 minutes for. But this is so important. It gives a larger 30,000 for context, and I briefly touched on it in the first sermon that I preached. When we read this verse and we hear the word, the harvest of your righteousness, what we normally read, some of us, is if you give your money away, then that will make you a righteous or decent or moral person. Tim Keller wrote a wonderful book called Generous Justice. Go pick it up and read it. Where he makes this case The vast majority of Western Christians, when they hear the word righteousness, they go individual, personal, morality. But when you look at the entirety of the Old Testament, the word righteousness actually is much closer to the word justice. And what Paul is saying here once again is this. Our wealth and our resources, it's not just about being stingy. Our wealth and our resources really gets to this issue of are we a people of justice. You go, where do you get that from? Verse 9, Paul is taken from Psalm 112. Where's Psalm 112? And what does Psalm 112 say? Let me just pick out a couple passages of Psalm 112, and you see what the psalmist says is a righteous person. Check this out. That's why context is everything, right? Psalm 112, verse 4. They're generous, they're compassionate, and they're righteous. Verse 5. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. And then verse 9, which Paul quotes, they share freely and give generously to those in need. The righteous man that Paul talks about in verse 9 of Corinthians and Psalm 112 is not just a person who is decent and moral. It's a man who is committed to justice and is listen to this, reweaving creation. What are you talking about, Peter? Psalm 112 assumes a background. We talked about this before in Malachi 3. You understand the Old Testament, they understood, the Israelites understood that the world was built in such a way that God created to be shalom, a place of shalom, universal flourishing, where there's security, strength, and harmony for everyone in our relationship with God, in our relationship with each other, and all of creation. And the image or metaphor that they used was that of a garment, a fabric. And the Israelites said, all of our lives, all of our individual lives like a thread, a thread. And in our thread is our life, it's our resources, it's our education, it's our network, all the things that make up who we are. And he said that the way that God created the world is such a way that all of these threads, thousands and thousands and thousands of them, would be interwoven, interconnected, and interrelated to all the other threads. It's not just a bundle mess of threads thrown on top of each other, but it's threads that have gone through through each other, gone under each other, gone over each other. There is this kind of interconnectedness in such a way that the result is a beautiful fabric that provides strength and security for everyone. That's why in our vernacular we even say stuff like the fabric of our society is unraveling when we see injustice, when we see oppression. Can I remind you of the world we live in and whether the fabric of our world is unraveling? 1.2 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. Three billion people live on less than two dollars. How can anybody see this and go, no, I think our world is working. How can anybody objectively look at, let me keep going, 70 million people are on the threshold of starvation every day. 
34,000 children die every day of hunger and preventable diseases. 400 million people consume less than the minimum critical diet. Half of the children of the absolute poor don't live to be five years old. And what does God say? God says, I've made a commitment to the poor. And how does God fulfill his commitments, church? You tell me to the poor. Does he do it by raining down money from heaven? Does he do it by some supernatural miraculous deeds because we pray? How does God do it? God does it this way. He says, American Christians have 70%, 70% of the entire world's wealth. And you make up, I make up 5% of the entire global population. God says, I've made a commitment to the poor out there, here in our surrounding communities. And how does God fulfill his commitments to the poor? Through who? Come on, church, through who? Through you and me. God says, I fulfill my commitments to the poor. That's why, that's why I am continuing to refill your buckets so that as you have more, you could sow more. Do you understand that? Do I understand that? His commitments to the poor and reweaving creation is our work as we participate along with God. Can I get it? Amen. It is our work. God says, I have made a commitment to them. And I fill your buckets with resources to be invested for my kingdom work. That means that when you and I give our money and our resources away and invest in kingdom work, we are doing nothing short of participating in the work of reweaving all of creation. Is that good news? And what do we have to look forward to, Peter? I'll tell you what we have to look forward to. In case you think this is some pie-in-the-sky dream, listen to what Peter says, 2 Peter 3.13. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We are looking forward, God, to a new heavens and a new earth. Is anybody else looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth? Now, if you read Psalm 112 and you realize, well, righteousness is there, and you read 2 Peter, you realize that righteousness dwelling in new heavens and a new earth is not some good, decent, moral Christians walking around going, hmm. New heavens and a new earth means that all of broken creation restored. All of creation falling apart Rewoven. That means that as you and I invest in this, I know that this is like too maybe theological, philosophical, or theoretical, whatever for some of us, but when we give to God's work, we are literally reweaving the fallen relationship that we have with God so that as we look forward to the day when there will be no more spiritual alienation, no more rebellion, we will know God and we will be known by God. Nations and nations. Races and races will be rewoven together. No more wars. No more wars. 
Our physical bodies in the new heavens and new earth will be revolving together. No more cancer. No more sickness. No more death. Even I self-psychologically, if I could put it there, we'll be rewoven together. What do you mean, Peter? We'll finally be the true us that God created us to be and no longer live trying to be someone we're not. I don't know about you, but man, when I think about this, when I think about the fact that, well, there goes that money on that. When I think about what happens, God taking my life, my resources, and I'm actually participating in the work of God or reweaving so that I become a sign. My life becomes a sign of the new heavens and a new earth. Is that glorious news? Is that glorious news that the watching world will look at us and go, you guys continue to talk about, you know, sometime when Jesus comes back, what... They could actually get a glimpse now of the new heavens and the new earth through our biblical stewardship. What? (sighs) Got to finish verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every... (laughs) Some of our versions say you will be made rich and some of us are going, finally I'm going to be rich. To which I want to go, seriously... Seriously, you will be enriched in every way so that you could always be generous. God gives more so that we can give more. So I come back to this question, how how will you sow? How will you sow? Will you continue to do the, here you go, God. How will you sow where you say, God, I'm scared. I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen a year from now, two years from now. God, I, have you seen the economy? <laughs> to which I feel like God's up there going, no. Tell me about the economy. What's happening? <laughs> Do you know about the job? God's going, what's in your hand might be small. Let me use this. And some of us are going, I'm giving very little. Is that going to make any difference? Here's the amazing thing about Jesus, right? He's the same dude that takes what? Five loaves of bread and two fishes. Oh, wow. Wow, that generator, okay. I was wondering at some point something was going to resonate. Do you know why this is powerful for me? Because God's going, I'm God for crying out loud. I can do a ton with a little. A ton. I can do more than you can imagine with what little you can. I'm God for crying out loud. So give. It's not much, God. God goes, doesn't matter. Give. Oh, man. Verse 12. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. And they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. Love this. I love this. I love this. Excuse me while I take Paul says, the result of your giving will be twofold. The impact of your giving will be twofold. One was what? Not only will the people be physically fed, but their radical generosity will also lead people to praise God. Not only will people be physically fed, but also lead people to praise God. Do you know why that's good news? See, see, this is for you. Here's the reason why, and I've 
I've held myself back from saying this. I'm going to say, here's the reason why a part of your giving, I I want you to give to new community. Because a local church can do ministry where people are not only physically fed, but we could lead them to praise God. I want you to support local churches because not only can we be involved in ministry being physically fed, but we could also lead them to praise God. Unless you have something to praise, your life has no meaning, even with the stomach that's full. I'm going to say this clearly once and for all. Jesus did not distinguish body and soul. Body and soul fell because of sin. Body and soul will be redeemed because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Body and soul will be made glorious in the new heavens and the new earth. We don't say one is more important than the other. We don't deceive. However, having said that, and I love what you sang this morning, a full stomach will go hungry again. Someone whose thirst has been parched will thirst again. Jesus himself even said, come to me, I am the bread of life. He who feeds me, what? Will never hunger again. I am the living water. He who comes to me will never thirst again. We don't say one is more important than the other. We do both. We do both. We feed, we shelter, we clothe. But we also remind people that they are human beings made in the image of God with dignity. That there is a purpose for their lives. And we remind them who they are and who they belong to. We minister both in deed and in word, spiritually and physically. That is the ministry that Jesus calls us to. Amen. As you support ministries, find ministries that do both physical and spiritual ministry. And finish verse 13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Proved what? If you've been following what Paul's reasoning is. He's saying here, you prove that you've experienced the grace of God. He's saying, if you know what Jesus did for you, if you know the future that he has secured for you, you cannot help but be generous. He says, if you and I are not generous, if you and I are not joyfully generous, he says, I'm not going to come and go do it because I told you to. He's going to say, check your foundations. Check your foundations. Is Jesus your vendor or is your savior? Is Jesus someone you just go to when you need something? Or is Jesus someone you go to because he has given his all for you? Who is he? Who is he? You have proved yourselves that others will praise God for the obedience, there is again, that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Verse 14. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Verse 15, thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Can we just say that together? Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. One more time. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. One more time. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. That's my question. And it has to be the question, is Jesus, that gift, too wonderful for words? Is Jesus, that gift, that treasure, too wonderful for words? That's the issue. Is he, that gift, indescribable gift, too wonderful for words? Every other treasure on earth. 
Every other church on earth says you have to purchase it. Jesus is the only treasure who dies to purchase us. Every treasure on earth says, go to the mat. Go to the mat. Shed blood, sweat, and tears to get it. Jesus is the only treasure that sheds his blood, sweat, and tears for us. The question we circle back to every Sunday is this. Is Jesus your significance or is it money? Is Jesus your identity or is it money? Is Jesus your security or is it money? See, Peter, how do I know that God will take care of my future? Answer is simple. In order to look at the future and get the answers for what happens, we look to the past. And when we look at the past, we find this. We find, as Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. Do you know what happened on the cross? Here's how we know that God could create the new heavens and the new earth. Here's how we know that there's a future of no oppression, no outcastness, no death awaiting us. The Bible says Jesus came, and on the cross, he paid the price for our oppression, for our outcastness, and for our rebellion. The Bible says, though he was rich, he became poor. Though he was free, he became oppressed for our sins. And though, 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 though he was God, he humbled himself. And if you want to know, and if I want to know what happens when a person sows their wealth, sows their life, sows their riches, God says, look at my son. Look at my son. Look at the harvests in your life. Look at the harvests in my life. Result of one person who obeyed God and sowed his wealth, his life, his seeds. Let me ask you four questions. Ed and Jenny, you guys come on up. First question number one. Do you struggle with the idea that everything you have belongs to God and that you're just a steward? Does that offend your sensibilities? Question number two, what percentage of your spending goes towards your priorities and what percentage of your spending goes towards God's priorities? Question number three, who have you given permission to ask about your spending habits? Question number four, do you give systematically, intentionally, and regularly in some way? And lastly, lastly, can you pray, God? Show me how to honor you with everything that I have. I surrender it all for the sake of your glory. Throughout the sermon series, we've asked folks to share their own stewardship journey hearing stories and testimonies of people speaks to us in ways that sometimes sermons cannot. So, y'all share, y'all pray.
So Jenny and I have shared um, our stewardship testimony in other settings um, over the last six weeks. And we'll briefly sort of recap some of it. But um, a large part of what we wanted to talk about today was really how this stewardship challenge has moved our hearts and changed our hearts over the past six weeks. Um, we're both physicians. We finished training um, five years ago. And before training, you kind of work close to minimum wage. And after you finish training, um, there can be a pretty significant jump in how much you make. And we've been very, very blessed. And it really wasn't until this stewardship challenge started that we really started thinking about what we were doing with our money. And um, Jenny's going to start off and share sort of what's been in her heart. Um, so Pastor Peter's been preaching you know, the last month about um, how money really reveals our idols. Um, so being part of this campaign has been really eye-opening to me um, in that it's revealed uh, to myself how selfish I am. Um, as I've thought about money uh, during this Imagine Stewardship Challenge, I've realized that to me money equals convenience and time. Um, probably because Ed and I have spent so much, so many years um, in, in training for our careers, now working long hours and being balancing life with three little kids. Um, in my mind, you know, money it makes things easier, makes my life easier. Um, you know, being no longer being poor medical students, we can use money um, for you know, eating out at restaurants, childcare. Um, and over the last few weeks, there's a part of me that's really struggled um, as I realize how much I use money as a key to convenience. Um, when we talk about the things that we can sacrifice um, in order to give to this building campaign, I find that the biggest challenge to me is letting go of the things that make my life easier uh, from a time and convenience aspect. Um, so in reality, it may not be a large sum of money if I, if I cut back on childcare expenses or dining expenses or household items, but um, it's not about the sum. It's about um, how I've equated um, how easy it is to spend that money so that my life is easier and how I don't really want to give that up. Um, and I find myself arguing uh, with God, asking him, you know, I think I deserve this, God. I work so hard. Um, don't you think I deserve this? Um, but God has used the past few weeks to um, show me how I uh, idolize my own time and idolize my um, about convenience. So my most inner selfish desires have been really revealed the last few weeks um, as we talk about money. And it's, it's not easy to come to terms with that, to realize um, that's how I feel about myself, how I, how I put myself first. Um, and it's not easy to talk about it in front of you know, a group of people. Um, but the thing is that, um, that through this time, I've, I've really felt God uh, transforming my heart and transforming our lives as a family and how he, he'll provide for us and he'll, he still loves us. And despite what Jenny just said, she's actually really frugal. And 
one of the things that we've never really had to talk about when we started dating and when we got married is what we we're going to do with our money because it was very obvious we were going to save it right peter talks about living on sort of the lower end of sort of your sort of um, means we tend to live on the upper end of the means below us right we are not big spenders and for me what money comes down to is security i mean we certainly didn't i didn't grow up with a lot of money we were we had a home we were comfortable but i remember always thinking that we didn't had enough and even now as we've made much more there's always a part of me that's afraid that we don't have enough that we need to save for our futures we have to save for our kids college tuitions we have to save because we need to save for security and one of the things that this stewardship challenge has really convicted of us convicted us of is that you know from a lordship standpoint we've really put it into our savings and not so much into Jesus or into God and while we've always felt very blessed and we know that this is money that God has entrusted us with part of our fear is that we have to take this money and save it as opposed to being radically generous and to give it back to God and this was definitely a detour for us from when we were training I and mean, we had always said that well one day we're going to make a lot more money and we're going to donate that money and do we did we give yeah absolutely but did we make giving our priority absolutely not and this is really where our hearts have been changing throughout this challenge the idea that we've been blessed with so much and yet as our lives have developed each child we have we realize oh we need to save more and as our lives have changing we realize there's other things we have to sort of put that money towards and we forgot that from the very beginning we said look this money is entrusted to us from god and this has really helped us to realign with that now um many of you know we've we've pledged over 100,000 over the next 3 years to this campaign and the truth is it's terrifying to us right um that that's more than Jenny makes in the year um and i think michael said it everybody else who gives these testimonies seems like they're so with it they they get it they they have sort of a plan we're just we're scared um but that doesn't mean we're not joyful right we're scared but we're not doesn't mean we're not joyful because what we've realized is that as we've pledged this and frankly as we've started looking towards other places that we can give even as we're committing to this stewardship challenge that we're discovering freedom from our own insecurities and our own fears and our prayer is that over the next 3 10 20 years that God continues to work in our hearts in terms of where to what to do with our money 
and that this doesn't end today or two weeks um, in terms of what we're giving, but that this is a lifelong change for us. Let's pray together. God is able to bless you so that in all things at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work do you trust him take a moment to listen to the voice of your heavenly person of the Holy Spirit, what my God is saying to us today.